Okay, y'all, I am super excited to share this episode with you. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a message on Instagram from this lovely woman named Annalisa Lemming, and she asked if I would be interested in going on her podcast and talking about the Enneagram. And I went to look at her profile and it felt like looking at someone that you've known your whole life. I even showed her profile to my husband and he's like, y'all are like the same person. We have so much in common. Annalisa Lemming is a Broadway actor and concert singer who is now a soulful coach. And I love that she calls herself a soulful coach because you can just feel in her presence, even if it's just looking at her face on Instagram, but definitely when I was having a conversation with her for her podcast, you can feel the depth of her soul and the amount of care that she has and the work that she's bringing into the world and who she's here to serve. It's really powerful. So we recorded the podcast episode for her podcast called A Balancing Act. And the conversation was so much fun, so easy. We really dove into a lot of the deeper elements of the Enneagram that I use constantly. So when the episode came out this past week and I listened, I reached out to her and I said, hey, is there any way I can share that on my podcast as well? Because I think that my listeners would also really benefit from hearing this conversation. And she was so gracious and generous and said, yes, of course. So I'm so excited for you to meet Annalisa, listen into our conversation. This is a long one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to Love Liz, the podcast that's all about inspiring you to be yourself, find true love, and live your purpose. This is for all of you seekers with deep desires who are struggling with your own self-worth and figuring out how to make your dreams come true. I'm your host, Liz Newcomer, actor-turned-Enneagram coach, human design practitioner, wife, and mama. I believe that who you are is enough to create the life and love you desire. Listen to find out why. I have been dying to have somebody on this podcast to talk about the Enneagram forever and it's happening. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Y'all, I found Liz on Instagram. (laughs) I actually, I think, I can't remember what I typed in the search bar. Enneagram coach, maybe Enneagram Mm -hmm. expert, something like that. And a whole, a whole bunch of people. And I just started looking at people's profiles and yours stuck out to me because you're an Enneagram coach and actor. Yes. I think, I think I've changed my title since then, but I, it was actor turned Enneagram coach. Um, Mm. So that you probably saw that and we have that in common or acting in common. Yeah. And, and well, coaching, right? So, so there's yes. that. I call myself yes, a soulful yes, yes. coach and, and you're a mama and you don't live in New York city, which we, we left the city, uh, no, a year and a half ago. Um, so, you know, just lots of similarities. And I was like, I want to know this person. <laughs> yes. I lived in New York for 12 years. And went to NYU, studied acting there, and then left in 2014 to actually come back to my hometown of New Orleans. And I was a drama teacher for eight years at my alma mater. So I just high school or college? 
it was high school. It was high middle school. and upper school. Right, because um, you went to NYU. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so that's what brought me back to New Orleans. But love New York. Wow. Okay, I wait, so like, yeah. we'll get to the Enneagram. Yes, yes. But can you tell us a little bit about the journey of what maybe summarize if you can, like New York City and then leaving and what that was? Yeah, it actually, and the Enneagram was part of it as well. So my husband is also an actor. He, uh, we met on the steps of South Coast Rep. He was doing Pride and Prejudice there. That was in 2012. Um, He was in that with a bunch of my friends from grad school. I went to UCSD for grad school. He moved to New York We got engaged and really I was mainly waiting tables. So I wasn't even doing much acting. I waited tables at ABC Kitchen and found the Enneagram in 2011 and became a certified Enneagram teacher in 2013. Wanted to become a life coach then, but I had all of these fears around how I would be perceived and that people wouldn't take me seriously. So I kind of pushed that off to the side. And then there was a position that opened up at my school that I went to. And Michael was like, you know, maybe let's do that. It was a very quick decision, quick turnaround. So it was April of 2014. And I started August of 2014 and came down here. I never wanted to be a teacher. Maybe this resonates with you as an actor. I was like, no, I just want to act. I don't want to teach people how to do it. (laughs) So... I resisted that for a while. And while I was teaching, I also was the social media manager for the Narrative Enneagram, which is where I got my certification. And I was just a little bit scared about coaching with it. It was probably in 2019 when I started to dip into coaching. And then that's when I got my first client. And then I was doing teaching and also Enneagram coaching on the side. And that was what I wanted to be doing. So I left teaching. I also have a theater company down here. So still acting and doing all of that. But my business as an Enneagram coach is full-time. Wow. (laughs) That's a little bit of the Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we could talk about so many things, all the hats that you wear and how you do that. And, you know, I've said season four of this podcast really feels like a giant permission slip Mm. to those who think that having a creative career looks like one thing. Mm-hmm. Because guest after guest has come on this season with these stories, and no one looks the no one story and journey looks the same. Right, and to hear that you know people are still acting or not or you know doing it in their way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is interesting having this. I'm about to start on Tuesday. I will be directing a Christmas Carol, the Patrick Barlow version, and my husband's going to be playing Scrooge. And so that feels very much still a part of my world. And it's not what I expected it to look like. I studied at NYU, went to grad school, wanted to go, wanted to be on Broadway, thought that that's how I was then going to become a movie star. I was going to like do the legit, you know, the legit theater circuit and then transfer over. And, you know, this is, this is what my life is. And I couldn't have quite imagined it. Right. Never. Yeah. I always say that. I'm like, I never in a million years would imagine I'd be living in the suburbs of Denver with two <laughs> kids coaching. I just never, I couldn't have imagined it. How have you, um, 
come to terms with and that aspect of, of those desires, like what, what, what has that been like mm. for you? And maybe using the Enneagram and find knowing like the root, like that true calling underneath, like it being Broadway or Hollywood. I'm just mm-hmm. curious not to put words in your mouth, but <laughs> yeah, well, I do see it through the lens of the Enneagram and my type. I'm the type four. I call that type the dreamer, but it's also known as the tragic romantic or the individualist. But the dreamer really resonates with me because I do have these really big dreams even now. And I'm sure you're the same with coaching. I have these huge dreams of what do I want my coaching business to be? That feels like if all of those feel like a North Star, what I'm now starting to understand is that it's there for me to point as a compass to point as direction, but how it actually turns out, what it looks like in the end is usually more magical than I even imagined it to be. But it is very ideal in my vision of it. And so part of working with my Enneagram type, uh, we'll get into this for each number later, but my emotional vice is envy. And so this comparison, this comparative mind of comparing where I am now to where my, you know, the dream or how I imagined it would be and the the longing and the distance between that, that can create a lot of suffering. And then going over to the high side of that vice, which is the virtue of equanimity, it's finding those practices that you and I both do to just bring me back to emotional balance and to really be present and see how amazing this life is, even though there's more that I want to create. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what's coming up for me. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) No, I just think it's so huge for all of us. I love this outlook of the impossible dream. Mm. I so resonate with that. I'm not a four, (laughs) but I, I too, and I imagine a lot of people listening, just people that identify as a creative mm-hmm. have big, wild dreams mm-hmm. and having it. I love that you use the word North star. It's like, have that there to point towards and mm-hmm. journey towards it. Because if you didn't, right. And you're just like, well, maybe I could do a play in my town because that's mm-hmm. safe and easy. You know, mm-hmm. who would you meet and et cetera? Like, what would that journey be versus I want to play at the top of my career, whatever mm-hmm. career that is. And I desire for my reach to go as wide as it can. And, and you're going to act in a completely different way. The actions that you take, the beliefs that you create, the old things that you let go of. And then yes, and how it unfolds doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. And I think that sometimes what I forget, and I have to remind myself, and probably I'm not alone in this, is that I always get this image of, I call it my stairway to heaven, where it's like, I see the dream at the top. It's heaven. It's like got the bright light and it's just perfect (laughs) and pure. And then the path to getting there is just pristine, this very (laughs) clear linear path from where I am standing now up to heaven. And in actuality, what it's like is the vision is still up there and there's no staircase. And as soon as I take one step, the next staircase appears. And it's almost like pebbles that I'm stepping one at a time. And the next one will only appear if I take that first step. So that is reminding us to trust in the unfolding, to trust the process. And even 
you know, as a social media manager, the things that I learned in that job have now informed what I do in my own business. And the teaching that I learned, I now also teach professional actors with my theater company. So it all kind of weaves in and out and informs each other. And we can't always see that when we just see the big finish line. Yeah. (laughs) The goal itself. Oh, I love that you said that. I just did the alignment before action workshop that everybody that's been listening knows that I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And um, somebody came and and he's not in the theater industry. And she messaged me and she said, it's so clear how all of your training has informed what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And that's just such beautiful reinforcement for exactly what you said, that mm-hmm. the aspect of us that thinks like, this is, this is the tallest mountain I will climb. And this is what I'm here to do. And and then as your life continues to unfold, you're like, wow, how it's all um, connected. Yes. Yeah. I love the Enneagram. I found it in 2017 Mm -hmm. and it completely changed my life. Mm -hmm. My relationship with my husband. Mm -hmm. What's his type? He's a nine. Oh, lovely. (laughs) Y'all look alike. (laughs) Yeah, right. He's a nine, but also it helped so much with uh, relationships in my life that are tricky and sticky. Yes. Right. To find compassion for people and to understand. Mm. And for me, I'd heard over and over, you know, there's such things like this manual. We all have a manual for how Mm -hmm. we think life should be lived and how we Mm -hmm. think a mother should be, a best friend should be, or whatever. We all have a manual and we think everybody should act in accordance to our manual. Mm-hmm. And what I learned through the Enneagram is like, oh no, there are many manuals. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's no wonder that my nine <laughs> is wanting to escape conflict because in yes. my mind, he should do this. So, so I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I just wanted to share just my passion for the Enneagram. And I'm so thrilled to have you just kind of define it, tell people what it is, and then we can go through some of the numbers. Yeah, great. I do feel like it is an incredible tool for understanding ourselves what makes up our manual, right? What that actually is. And it puts it in a tangible way that separates us from how we identify ourselves. We're able to see it objectively. And then we have the power to choose or to make a different response. We'll talk about alignment because I think that's what it is right there. What is alignment? How do you know if you're doing something that's aligned? And I think Our Enneagram type, which is our personality, it's those patterns that we've been doing that we developed in childhood when we were trying to survive and thrive in the world. And we figured out a way to be that got us whatever it was that we wanted, whether it was primarily love, if you're a heart type like you two, a three or a four, what you wanted was love. And what you didn't want was to feel ashamed for not being lovable or the grief or sadness if you didn't have that love. And that set up your strategy for your type. And if you're a head type, a five, six, or seven, your primary focus was getting security and safety. And if you didn't get that, you felt afraid. So you're managing that fear and making sure, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm safe? And if you're a body type, an eight, nine, or one, you want to feel worthy. You want to belong. You want autonomy. And then you feel angry if you don't belong or if you don't feel worthy. So our types are really helpful. There are strategies, our ways of being. They serve us in many different ways. And then as we get older, they start to be 
the thing that can hold us back and can stand in our way. And so in terms of alignment, they were very aligned and meeting our goals when we're younger. Then actually the opposite, the freedom, <laughs> liberation is making a different choice. And that's where alignment comes in. We'll talk about it more specifically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's so hard to talk about the Enneagram because it is all-encompassing for me. It's how right. I see the world. Simply put, it is a personality system with nine different types and how they see the world and how they show up and what their automatic patterns of being are and also what is available to them without that type structure. Mm. I always tell people when I'm gently saying, hey, check this out, right? A client, I love... um, I do use this with my clients because the minute I know what number they are, I'm like, ah, all this makes sense, right? Which I'm sure you're like, that's why I coach with them. (laughs) As opposed to a coach that has one prescription for every single person that comes to them, right? Right. And so I I definitely use it. What I offer is I love the Riso Hudson resources. Those Mm -hmm. are my personal favorites as far as like, if you want to take a test as I'm like, pay, take this one Mm -hmm. because it's so great. But I all know like Suzanne Stabile, who I adore in the Enneagram world is like, you don't need to take any tests. Just read about the nine types and you'll know, like you'll Mm. unless you're maybe a nine (laughs) or (laughs) or a six, like you'll know what you are. But so that's one part I'd love you to speak to. And the other one is I also, what I love about it is when I, I get into reading about a type, there's the different levels of health or disintegration, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I think so many personality assessments are like, you are a blank and this is who you are. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram is like, this is who you are when you are in stress. This mm-hmm. is the highest you know, version of yourself. And so on any given day or moment, you can look at any of those and say, oh, I'm down here. Or when I'm with mm-hmm. my dad, I'm here. Or when mm-hmm. I'm, you know, which is extremely empowering because we're complex, nuanced creatures. We're not just a QRAP. I'm kidding. I'm just making fun of a person. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Riso Hudson is, that's the Enneagram Institute and that's one set of training. And I actually studied with the narrative Enneagram, which is more learning about type through storytelling. And they're both really wonderful and valuable. So we didn't study so much those levels of stress, but the way that it works for me or the way that I understand it is that if you go back to that core, like who you were born on this earth to be, it wasn't a type, right? That was part of your strategy. That was a process that you developed that we all develop and it's really helpful. And so part of the journey of your type is letting the type structure fall away. It's peeling back the layers. And so in terms of health, the more layers you let fall away, the more free you are to be your essential self, your authentic self. That alignment, a lot of times that we think about with our higher self, right? That's the one that doesn't have the fears that maybe that our type that guided us to get the type in, in the first place, right? Or get the strategy in the first place. I think that not everybody can read about the numbers and know who they are because not everybody does that process of self-discovery. You have to have, and I'm sure your audience is on that wavelength, but it does require checking in and having that inner observer and being like, why do I do that? What's that about? And some types are not really that interested 
And, you know, some threes, they're like, I don't need to worry about why I do it. I do it really well. So I'm going to keep going forward. Or some type eights, it's like, this is, yes, I'm an eight, fine. I'm going to keep going. So yeah, that's my thought about it. It is a tricky to figure out what your type is. So what is your recommendation? Like, how do you recommend people to find out? Well, I do typing sessions. So I do Mm. a deep dive 60 minute typing session where I will guide you through a series of questions. And intuitively, I will be seeking what is underneath all of that, what you're saying, because it's subconscious, our patterns, right? right? And so I'm kind of trying to scrape away at the surface to get to the why that's driving your behavior, that's motivating you. So that's my number one tip and way to do it. I like the narrative Enneagram test. It is a nine paragraph test. So you do just read nine paragraphs and you do figure out kind of what Suzanne was saying. But honestly, it is a pro- like being patient and knowing that it is a process of self-discovery and allowing it to evolve over time. I thought I was a three, then I thought I was a two, then I found out that I was a four. So it did take me almost 10 years to figure out what my actual type was. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I have not heard that. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people who take the test I don't know how the narrative test comes back, but I know for the Riso Hudson, it comes back and you kind of get like a score for each number. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I've had people come and say, oh, well, I'm a two and a three and a six yes, and a little bit right. of seven. Right. right. And I, I know that's not really how it works. So if you right. can maybe speak to that a little. Yeah. Cause that's true for the truity test, which is a decent free online test, but it will show you that too. It'll show you that percentage wise. You are only one type. And that depends on what that original core motivation is. So let's talk about you and your husband, for example. So the y'all are what's called lookalike types. You're not actually connected, meaning you don't have a line going. You and I have a line. So we are resource points for each other. And then you and I both share a wing in three. So we have that similarity. That's what makes us both actors, performers, podcasters, comfortable talking. Yes. <laughs> But what motivates me is different from what motivates you from what motivates a three. So what motivates you generally is the desire to be loved and to help. And you get that sense of your identity when you help someone that makes you feel loved. Does that resonate? Oh, yeah. Ugh, and it's so icky. <laughs> it's be- but it's beautiful, right? It's both. Yes. Like, then we'll yes. talk about that. I know the, the vice <laughs> and the virtue, et cetera. But yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then my motivation, I like helping people, but I get love from feeling like I'm special or unique. So it's like, I want to stand out. I want to be the one and only. Twos want to be the one and only to help you. Right. To be right. I want to be the best friend. Yes. 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> and then threes just want to be the best. They want to be validated for their success and their achievements. So the three of us, we're all in the heart triad, but we have different motivations. So some of our behaviors can look similar. But when you keep scratching, but why? Why do you do that? Why do you want to mm-hmm. be an actor? Right. Mm-hmm. We want to be actors for somewhat similar reasons, but ultimately it's a deeper driver. And then looking at you and your husband, a lot of times people can see nines and twos. They're really easygoing. They are very helpful around people. They 
go along to get along. They're positive. They're optimistic. What makes them different? And my mom is a nine. And she said that this distinction really helped her. Someone asked her, what happens if you go to bed at night and you hadn't helped someone that day? And she was like, I'd be fine with that. (laughs) Whereas most twos would be like, there's not a day that goes by where I don't help someone. <laughs> like, that's just not a thing. What does right? that even mean? Yeah. That would be the most selfish day of my life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> At my point as a four, I'm like, well, go take that selfish day because that'll right. help you help the next person even more because you will have right. filled up your cup and you deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting uncomfortable over here. Let's talk about the nine now. <laughs> You're like, too much, too close. So yes, the motivation of the nine is go along to get along. They seek their worthiness by merging with another. I always think about in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas in the book, there is once he realizes that all of the who's, the way that they actually define Christmas is just in being together and they're all holding hands in this big circle. I'm like, that is the nine's biggest dream. Like we're all together. 100%. We're all we're all united. We're all the same, right? Yeah. So that's what motivates them. Mm. Yeah. And and where does like conflict come in for them? Cuz the couple nines that I'm closest to, like that's the biggest thing is the avoiding of the conflict. Is that because then we're not all together in harmony holding hands? Yeah. Yeah. So the conflict is if you and I are on in conflict, then we're on, we're in two different places, right? And we're not connected anymore. Right. And so that's super uncomfortable. And it shows up for them too in making choices because right. they can see the value in all of the choices to make one choice and prioritize that above the rest. It's like, mm. that's why they don't put themselves above the rest because there's that distance that makes them uncomfortable. Mm. That's conflict. That's not peace. That's not harmony. We want everybody on the same, same wavelength, right? Mm, Yeah. So true. (laughs) So true. I love this. Okay. So let's keep going. Like let's, yeah. Should I talk more numbers? Yeah. The motivations of the, yeah. Let's do that. Since we just did that with, with these four so far, let's keep going. Yeah. I'll keep in the body triad. So I'll do one next. Um, also wants to be worthy and does so by being good and right and perfect. So it's like, if I'm good and right, there's that self-righteous, then there's nothing that you could, like, I have to belong. I have to be included and worthy and valuable to the group, right? The eight, they get their worthiness by being strong and by taking action. So it's interesting. I'll talk about it because you're a two and you've got the resource point. And the resource points are those lines that connect inside the circle. So your growth point, you can go to the high and low sides of your resource point. So you can come to me where I'm at. <laughs> Four, you can go to the high side, which is where you probably need to be a little bit more selfish. And you can use your creative strengths, which you obviously do with your acting, your singing. You also have the eight, which is about action. So taking your you know, alignment and taking action and talking about action towards your dreams, that's you very much using that resource of action-oriented eights. I'm going to make my way in the world through my own strength 
and power and making stuff happen. So that's what motivates the eights. Then if we shift into the heads, the head types, they're all motivated by safety or security. The fives are Sherlock Holmes people. They are motivated. They get security and safety through knowledge, through information. The more information they have, the safer they feel. Sixes are motivated by being prepared for whatever could come next. I think sixes are the original survivor. I think there are more sixes on the planet than any other type because it's like survival of the fittest. They will figure out what is it that I need to know and plan and in order to evolve. So their biggest fear is the fear of the unknown. And then lastly, the sevens are motivated by, and they get their security by planning options. They want exit strategies. They want fun possibilities. They want adventures. They want to live on the high side of life. So those are some of how each of the different types are motivated. And then that motivations, those motivations affect how they think, how they feel, how they act, how they show up to their relationships, to the world, et cetera. Mm, Thank you. This is so fun. So I really, really like, this is what I would do for fun on a Friday night is just like have a chat with a friend about the Enneagram. (laughs) So this is my best life. I just wish I had a glass of wine. (laughs) Um, I I hope you guys are enjoying this. So I have a couple <laughs> thoughts for those listening that are like, what are you talking about? I'm so confused. I would say pull up a picture of this that could totally help when you're talking about like the, the connection, the lines, mm-hmm. the resource mm-hmm. points. Also, maybe you do pause the episode now and go do one of these tests because you're curious mm-hmm. or go look at the different types and then come back to it or just keep listening and kind of in the space of like, I'm figuring it out. I don't need to know right now. I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Yes. Do you have anything to add to that as we continue? I think it's just be patient. It is almost a different language. And maybe this is an episode that you could listen to over again. And the more you listen to it, the the deeper you'll understand. It is like the process of getting to know yourself, right? It's almost like a spiral, right? You make one aha and realization of like, oh my gosh, that's why I do this. And then it comes back and you can see it in an even deeper way. That's what the Enneagram is. So just give yourself grace yeah, in, <laughs> in this journey. Yeah. A direction that we spoke with ahead of time about where to go. There's so many things we could talk about and get into. But we, we spoke about this idea that I'm bringing into the podcast, which is taking action mm-hmm. upon your deepest callings, your deepest longings, your wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. And when I shared that with you, you were like, oh, I could totally see that through the Enneagram lens mm-hmm. and perhaps doing, you know, speaking um, vice to virtue for each type and how that comes in. So I'd love for it just take, you know, take the reins in whatever direction you want to go. And, you know, maybe I'll ask questions or pause okay. along the way and chat. I'll move from the heart to the head to the body, just because that If you're looking at the Enneagram type, you could start from the two and then go around clockwise and end back up at one. I think a really good way. And so, yes, using the Riso Hudson scale of, you know, disintegration to integration. The other way that I see it is a continuum. And on either side of the continuum, there is your vice to your virtue. And in terms of figuring out, is this action in alignment with where I want to go? I think that those points can be really helpful in figuring out where you are 
and what is aligned and what isn't. So if we start with the type two, their vice is called pride. And what it means is it's that drive to feel like my value and my worth is dependent on if you need me. When you're taking action from that point, the negative things that can happen is you can deny your own needs. You can manipulate somebody else. You can offer unsolicited advice. You can tie up your worth in someone else and you're dependent on them. And that isn't healthy. And those actions ultimately aren't going to serve you and serve someone else. On the other end of the continuum is humility. And that's being in this open state of giving and receiving and knowing that the balance between the two is what allows for wholeness and it's really necessary. And so with a two, I always think of a plant and I always think of a plant that is life-giving, literally allows us to breathe. But if you are not watering that soil, you'll start to shrivel and die and we won't be able to breathe. So if you want to if you want to give us life, then you've got to take care of yourself. So when you're doing actions that are aligned with humility, it's always going to point you in the right direction. Best for you, best for everybody involved. Mm. Does that make sense in going at it from that perspective to keep going around? Or? Yeah, I love it. And actually, if I could just pop in with a quick little example of literally what happened today. Yes. Okay. So the pride thing, I remember reading that years ago and that just like, when you find, when you start to learn about your type, there are things that will like kind of gobsmack you or, Mm -hmm. or even for me, like trigger shame, like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that was one of those things. Oh, this is so vulnerable, but this is just how I roll. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I first started a balancing act, which was a decade ago, not the podcast, but we met in person. I wanted to help people, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was learning these tools and they were helping me Mm -hmm. and I am a natural teacher and natural leader. And it was like, I want to share. So it's Mm -hmm. so pure. Mm -hmm. However, how Mm -hmm. quickly when you, I was also, I don't know, I was mid twenties at that time. So it was over a decade ago. I didn't know thyself in this way Mm -hmm. and how quickly my, my little ego would get affected when people didn't show up to my group Mm -hmm. or show up to classes. And it was like, oh no, I'm not Mm -hmm. good anymore. I'm not good at this. And what does it mean about me? Mm -hmm. And so today to prepare for this workshop where I had 75 people sign up to come, which is more than Mm -hmm. I've ever had Mm -hmm. and how far I've come. And as I was preparing, like getting into alignment before I was about to teach, what came through so clearly because I can still feel that aspect of myself, Mm -hmm. right? That's a layer of my personality. It was so loud. And it was like, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. This is about Mm -hmm. their journey to their own alignment. And so talk about humility. That Mm -hmm. was just so, so perfect. And just speaking exactly to the vice to virtue. And that's what happened. And I really felt like I was able to get out of the way and and share what I I was there to share and then let go. Mm, Beautiful. I think all of our vices are these attachments, how we attach to the outcome, how we think that it has to play out. And in terms of humility and giving versus receiving, when you're open to receiving, the way that my teacher, Dr. Dr. David Daniels, he said, spirituality is the capacity to receive. So receptivity is so beautiful and so necessary and twos can access it. 
right? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just remembering you have needs too, and they deserve to be taken care of just as much as you want to take care of other people's needs. Yeah. 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 So just thinking of, and, and we'll go on and I promise I won't take up any more time about my own number. No, but, um, but I'm just feeling how then if you think about going towards your wildest dreams, whatever this mm-hmm. vice is mm-hmm. and the integration of that and the loving of that and the alchemizing mm-hmm. of that, if you want to go there, it's just everything. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I see all of the vice to virtues as two sides of the same coin. Both are necessary. They're part of the whole I think a lot of times we want to just prioritize one side. We, you know, twos want to be seen as humble, like, oh, don't talk about me. Like, let's talk about you. But the true humility is when, if you're asked to share, where you share, right? Right. Because I'm wanting to know. Right. So yes, I think that I have a positive way of looking at all of these vices and they're really good information when I feel, well, I'll talk about it when I get yeah. to me. Let's talk about the the type three, which is the performer. And the performer and the type two is the giver. I haven't even named them all. The giver or the helper is the two. The three is the performer and their vice is deceit. And what this looks like is denying to themselves what they're truly capable of. Now, the threes are capable of so much. And so it's easy to to be like, I can do anything because most of the time they can. Again, it's how they wrap up their identity in that I can do anything. So if there's something that they haven't tried before, like a beginner's mind, they might not be very good at that because they don't want to fail. They want to succeed. That's who they are. That's what people expect of them. So they push and push and push themselves. So I think a lot of ambitious people have some sort of tie or can resonate with the type three achiever sensibility, right? And you and I both can because we have that wing in common. It's about being like the question to see, are you in your vice or are you in your virtue, which is honesty for a three? It's, am I loved for who I am? That's honesty or what I do. So if you're being driven actions, I have to do this in order to prove my worth. You're likely out of alignment. And if you realize I can do this or I cannot do it and it doesn't affect my value as a human, then you're on the right side of things, right? Then then you're in that place of honesty. Or you know what? I want to try this and I may fail and that's okay. Or I may not want to work and I may just want to be. And that's great too. So that's what the journey looks like for a type three. They're going to have a lot of a hard time with this because they're like, nope, I know how to make my goals happen. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. pushing Absolutely. through. Absolutely. <laughs> the type four is the dreamer that I mentioned before. And they're, I also said, envy to equanimity. So envy is the comparative mind. It's the pendulum swinging from I'm not enough to I'm better than you. And so a lot of times they can feel like, and that both have resonated with me, right? I'm not a good enough actor. I'm not as good as her. She was on Broadway, so she's better than me. Or, well, I'm doing this, so I'm better than her. Whenever you're coming from, or even if you're setting goals because you see someone who, if you talk in, like, is an expander and you set, that's what I've noticed for myself. When I'm setting goals for myself because 
I see how someone else has done it. It's, it can serve me, right? It can be a positive motivator because it's illuminating something that I might want for myself, but it could also be deceiving because it might not actually be my authentic goal. So that's what the envy looks like. And the virtue equanimity looks like emotional balance. And it looks like not having your cage rattled and not being, not feeling jealous, not feeling a sense of lack, not feeling like you're more like a nine, not feeling like you're better or worse than someone. Like you just are who you are. So when you take action from that point, that feels really good. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. The type five is the observer. Their vice is called avarice. It's also hoarding or greed. So it's holding on to, and it's really coming from the, uh, this place of lack. Like, I don't have enough time. I can't give you my resources of space or emotion. I have to withdraw. I have to be private. I have to be secretive. I don't know enough. Okay. So I have a type five client who wanted to be a stewardess but was really frozen from taking any action because she didn't feel like she knew enough about the industry and she was really overwhelmed by what she didn't know. So I actually know two stewardesses. So I was like, you should go ahead and call these people and they can give you the information. But even admitting that she didn't know the information led her not to take that action. So the avarice, the hoarding, it comes from a place of of lack right? It's like, I have to hold on to it. Otherwise I have, you know, because I don't have more information. And so I'm just not going to move. The virtue is non-attachment. It's when you know that it's, that our resources, time, money, energy are just a concept of the mind and it's not a real thing and you can, it'll come and go. And it's just like that natural flow of life. So. I'll figure out the information when I get there, I'll that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what the journey looks like for the five. The type six is called the questioner or the trooper or the loyal skeptic. And fear is just the classic <laughs> vice for them. So we all know it's like our vices are all variations of fear, what it is that we fear. They fear the unknown. And so procrastination is things that can pull them down and get them out of alignment. Um, Imagining all the worst case scenarios and not taking steps forward because of it could go wrong. And their virtue is courage and knowing that it also could go right and facing your fear, you know, having the courage to face your fear and do it anyway is the classic journey for a six. The seven vice is called gluttony. And I always think of in, um, I think it was National Lampoon's European Vacation, that table of, it's like a full smorgasbord of like all the different types of food. And Audrey is like eating all of the food. Sevens want to try everything, but they don't really savor or enjoy it. It's like they're always chasing the next best thing. If you're at a dinner party with them, they're looking over your shoulder because that person might be better to have a conversation with. And so when you're in that place, you're never going to find the satisfaction 
of the goals that you're, you know, that, that you might have for yourself or the calling, because what I'm sure you know, this sobriety is the virtue, which means a staying with, right? A man, like through the pain and the discomfort of having to be present on this path of not getting the instant gratification of playing the long game. However, when they can let themselves do it, the way they taste life and enjoy and savor it is so much more powerful. Mm. The eighth journey is from lust, which looks like not necessarily sexual. It looks like excess. It looks like wanting more. When Hamilton first came out, I went to got amazing tickets because I knew the musical director and I brought my sister and my mom. My sister, who's an eight, was so obsessed that she was like, I have to see it again immediately. And this is when tickets were just ridiculously thousands upon thousands of dollars. And I'm like, you're not, you already had that experience. You're like, and she was like, I want more. I want more. I'm not satisfied. And I'm like, oh, because you are Alexander Hamilton, who's never satisfied. Like, you need more. I really think Hamilton was an eight, by the way. So it's that like taking action more, more, more. The innocence looks like being able to, it's that childlike sense of wonder. Like, I'm enjoying this so much. I don't need more because this is everything that I desire. So when you're, able to be present with that space and taking action from that, not even being attached to what the next thing or what more you can have. That's what that looks like. Nine is sloth, which can, their virtue is, is laziness. I mean, their vice is laziness to their own priorities. And that sloth looks like avoiding conflict. It looks like being asleep to themselves and to their life, not taking action, um, not making decisions, not prioritizing. Their virtue is right action. And it's figuring out what's, I think it's the Glennon Doyle, you know, just do the next right thing or the next best thing or whatever that quote is. It's like, And what we talked about before, but just the ability to choose one thing is really hard. (laughs) And living with a nine, I know that like starting anything is the hardest part. Yes. I imagine that they are a boulder at the top of a mountain, even conceptualize moving that boulder down to the valley is just overwhelming. But, and the most energy comes from that big push at the start. But once they get rolling, inertia picks up, they pick up the pace, they're feeling good. And so it's giving themselves the support that they need to get that big push to get moving. So I want to just highlight this one thing that you said, because I I know my beloved nine, (laughs) when, when he first heard this thing of like laziness and sloth, Mm -hmm. that like was painful. And, but I, I so appreciate the words that you added to it. And once we did more research on it as well, is it's not just being lazy, right? Right. And so can you just clarify that again, what that is? Yeah. Um, it is a laziness to yourself, to your own priorities. It's falling asleep to your life. And actually what they say is that the nine 
is the most spiritual of all types. And with any spiritual practice, what we're all here to do is wake up to our lives. And because, and so what they're doing is they're the archetype or the embodiment of falling asleep to your life, mm. not making yourself matter, not making right. your dreams a big enough deal. Right. So that's yeah, what it looks like. Yeah. I learned this, this um, belief and I know it resonates with two sweet nines in my life, which is this kind of underlying sense that their presence doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And if you believe mm-hmm. that, Mm-hmm. Right. Then why would you, right? Like take steps to your own dreams or forward for yourself if you believe, well, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And they matter so much. So and much. We need nines yes, so yes. much. <laughs> we need awake nines. <laughs> <laughs> they're non judgmental. They're grounded. Their presence is their present. They are the mm-hmm. classic version of that. Just mm-hmm. being in their presence is calming and brings peace. And yeah that's what they have to realize that just in the way that they know that everyone else matters, they are a part of that. Everyone. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so beautiful. Okay. Keep going. You've got one one more. more. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the nine is the peacemaker. I didn't say, uh, the seven is the adventurer or the epicure or the enthusiast. The eight is the challenger or the boss or the protector. The nine is the peacemaker or the mediator. And the one, which is the perfectionist or the improver or the reformer, their vice is anger. But it doesn't look like anger because remember that they are motivated by being good and right and perfect. And it's not good, right, or perfect to express anger. So usually it comes out in the form of resentment and passive aggression. And they're attached to, they're the should masters on the Enneagram. So they are really attached to how it should go, how this dream should go. And if it's not going to line up with that, then I'm just not going to do it. Clearly, it wasn't meant for me. So if that's what your actions are, or you think it has to play out in a perfect way, that may be your vice taking over. Your virtue is serenity. So it's the serenity prayer. It's grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Change what you can. And that's all you can do. So letting go is the big virtue. And once ones are able to do that and take action from that place, they're going to get where they're going. It's going to be perfect. Oh, it's going to be perfect. I like that you said that. Um, I've, I've read that ones have the loudest inner critic. Would you say that is true? Correct. Yeah. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's just, another way if you're listening and you're like, I don't know, I sound like this and this, that inner critic. Yeah. That's yeah. A good key there. And so quickly kind of going on this little tiny side tangent is we also spoke ahead of time about using this for actors, for the characters that you're playing. Mm-hmm. And so when I did School of Rock, Rosalie Mullins, the principal's definitely a type one. And mm-hmm. so I love like reading and learning all about the one and then bringing that to the script and the scenes that I was doing and all of that, if you care to share on that. Yeah. So Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird is likely a one, right? Blanche Dubois is likely a four. She's a dreamer. The girl with a dragon tattoo is probably a five that goes to eight. 
and that's her revenge, but she's very private. So she definitely has that line connection. So I love looking at it from an actor's standpoint because it gets right to the motivation. It makes all of your characters' actions make sense in a way that's really fun that you can find the different choices, right? The polarities of the characters because you could figure out where is Blanche feeling envy for Stella? And then when does she find equanimity? Does she find it? Um, yeah. So that's yeah. how I like yeah. to, Just to, to play with it. Mm-hmm. Way, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it also gets me thinking about how, you know, I think so many performers, creative types, we're also into psychology because yes. of that, right? We love knowing how people work, both playing yes. different characters and within ourselves. And I just think the Enneagram is so awesome because we are used to as actors stepping into other people. And so it can, I mean, I think it has the capacity to change our lives when we start to feel into these different archetypes and types of people and understand beyond our own type, not just on stage, but in our everyday lives. Yes. Yeah. So if you, I'll start from the actor's perspective. So a lot of times, you know, when there's a character that you can't quite access, there's the characters who are exactly like you. And then you could be like, are we the same Enneagram type or are they a different type? And then do we have any points of connection or what is it about them? And how can I express in the way that they express my truth through their filter? But also like you mentioned at the top of the episode, these relationships that we have, they can be triggers, the manual, right? And so understanding this is how I express my worldview as a four and this other person is triggering me. What's going on? Or like, what what's the lesson here? <laughs> Where are they mirroring me in a way that I feel triggered like it's a shadow? Where a lot of times our own type triggers us the most because we see it in Mm. someone else and the things that we don't like about ourselves. Yeah. We see in someone else and then we get to be like, for me, I used to be in a workplace where there were a bunch of fours and they talked all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) just shut up. But I'm like the most long-winded person. So I was like, clearly this is That's a mirror. That's so funny. Oh, wait. So, okay. I've, I've had this theory I've wanted to test out and I have somebody I can test it out on. So I find the number that I have the hardest time with that triggers me, I think more than any other number is a six. Mm. And, um, and part of it is the people in my life, the relationships to those sixes in my life versus mm-hmm. just like a six I meet on the street. So let's mm-hmm. just right name that. I remember my stepdad, for example, when I was telling him, talking about my home birth that I was planning, was mm-hmm. just like, what, 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 what about when this, what about when this, what about, and, this? and I'm like, what about when it's beautiful and it's mm. the way nature intended it to be? You know, I could not understand. And, I, and I'm always telling him to stop worry. And he's like, I'm not worrying. This is the way <laughs> I operate in the world. And then I under- learned about, you know, okay, he's clearly a six, but now I'm wondering in what you're saying, if part of what triggers me is that I love to help people so much and I just mm-hmm. often cannot help a six get out of their state of worry and uncertainty, mm-hmm. which is also mm-hmm. not how I see the world. I value, mm-hmm. right? Like hope and possibility. Mm-hmm. And so there's like there's those two interesting entanglements there. Yeah, I think that that's really true. So if I was to think about that from your perspective, twos are very hopeful, very optimistic. There's always a way to solve the problem. There's always a way to fix it. There's always something you can do. The 
unsolicited advice that you might give someone <laughs> is because you yeah. want to be helpful. Yes. It doesn't have to but, be that hard, right? Right. <laughs> but sixes are also known as the devil's advocate. So mm. whatever you offer them, they can easily see why that might not work. Now that <laughs> there's intelligence in that, right? Because right. It, it helps them to be really prepared. But what if that happens? Or right. what if that happens? So any solution as a two that you might offer up, they'll be able to poke a hole and it'll feel really frustrating and really draining for yeah. you, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, so just to also speak to the growth that can happen through knowing your type. Like mm. I was the queen of unsolicited advice. Mm-hmm. A, as being that special friend, that person that people would come to. But even when people didn't, and I would see a better way, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I really like, I'd like to share this with you. And, and now being at this point where I have no idea of what your soul is here to do in this lifetime. Mm. And that again, feels like that humility point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just honoring your path. And I can offer things if asked. Yes. Um, Yes. So so again, just the growth that's available through the Enneagram and knowing yourself is just so powerful. Yeah. I think where a lot of people stop is they think it is putting them in a box and they're like, I don't want, how am I just one type, right? How is this? What my teacher said is you're already in the box. This is just naming it so you can get out of the box. So it is 100% growth and transformation and journey oriented, which I love about it. And it is like a spiral or like a corkscrew, Mm -hmm. right? Things that I figured out with my patterns from envy to equanimity that I solved in my romantic relationship are now popping up in my career. Mm. And so it's the same gem or it's the same core. It's just being expressed in a different way. But because I've been able to get growth in my relationship, I know that I can use that also in my career. Totally. A hundred percent. And oh, it's just so endless too, where you can (laughs) go with this and where you can take it. Yeah. So true. Just to bring us back and highlight what what you're just talking about. So we're already in the box and this is helping us see what the box is that we're in. And yeah. what what you said earlier was ultimately the goal is letting letting the type structures fall away. And yes. that's where I see us getting limited often by the Enneagram is like, well, but I'm a this, I can't help it. Right. And in fact, I thought about getting a t-shirt made that says, um, I'm a helper. I can't help it. (laughs) Um, but not identify over identifying with it. And that's key, right? Yes, that's exactly it. So when you meditate and you're able to be the inner observer, you're able to sense that distance between your thoughts or your sensations or your feelings, and you know that you're witnessing it. That's how I see the Enneagram. Your essential self is the person who can witness your patterns, Mm -hmm. who can see, oh, look, look at me comparing myself. It's not me. It's the pattern that I'm playing out. So I don't have to compare myself. I could actually shift my focus and see what uh, what's present for me what's abundant for me mm-hmm. what do i have enough of and that's that that's what the journey looks like mm. it's not 
stagnant and it's not static. Yeah. Uh, so I feel for me to share that it's like when I'm in a, when I was younger, maybe when I was in a more contracted state because I needed something, I needed to get that job or I needed to meet the man of my dreams. Mm-hmm. It always comes back to helping for me or service, but mm-hmm. in sort of like the unhealth or the disintegrated part mm-hmm. of myself was like need needing to serve in order to get love exactly like you share. Yes. Yes. And now I can notice that and yes. still be like, no, I really just want to be a hollow reed mm-hmm. and, and serve just and complete and be completely detached. And mm-hmm. so to step on stage from that place, to record mm-hmm. a podcast from that place, mm-hmm. um, to sit across from my husband from that place is, mm-hmm. is the goal is the aim. Um, yes. And the power. Beautiful. And integration, I think is really knowing that you're able to have that humility because you also know the pride and you're able to experience the beauty of the humility because you know, it's alternative. So it's not, yeah. It's like, don't beat yourself up when you Mm -hmm. notice that you are in the lower side because you can at any moment make a different choice to come from the opposite. I actually had a friend of mine who was a successful TV actor and she booked a recurring role. And oh my God, I saw it and my envy was so intense. Mm-hmm. And I want what's best for, for her. But what I felt in that moment was that it meant that I couldn't have that too, right? Right. So what I did was I gave myself the space to feel envy without trying to change it and just having compassion for myself in my envy. And then because I let, I met myself there, it alchemized, it changed into equanimity. And then I felt like I let go and I could truly be happy for her. And it, I really wasn't at all comparing myself anymore. That's when I reached out to her and I said, mm. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. And it was the energy behind that message versus had I sent it when I was in the envy. Right. Yeah. She would have felt that. Totally. So yes, it's an integration. Give yourself space. They're both connected. It's part of the whole. Yeah. Uh, This is so perfect. I want to cap this here because I know this is so much information and I can see us having many more conversations together. I also (laughs) know that you are in human design and I am just, you will be the 100% expert and I will ask you a million questions on that. (laughs) Um, But I would love to have you back to maybe do a whole other episode on that if you'd be open. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. That was the episode. Wasn't it juicy? Now, if you want to find more about Annalisa Lemming, you can go to her website or her Instagram. Both are her name, Annalisa, A-N-A-L-I-S-A, Lemming, L-E-A-M-I-N-G. And you can listen to her podcast called A Balancing Act. I hope something in this episode resonated for you. And until next time, love, Liz. If you're ready to discover your true self and break free from those automatic patterns that may be holding you back, I invite you to take the next step and book a Discovering You Enneagram typing session on my website, elizabethnewcomer.com. This session will be your guiding light on the path to authenticity, alignment, and fulfillment. And if you're enjoying this podcast and find it inspiring, please consider leaving a five-star review. 
Your feedback is encouraging and helps our message reach more people who could benefit from this transformative journey. Thank you so much for being a part of this community.